Good afternoon. It's been a blessing. It's been a beautiful Lord's Day. I want to uh, once more say uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I know it's been a blessing today, and our mothers are a great blessing, and we're thankful for all of all of you mothers. Let's make sure I got this. Yes. As was mentioned earlier, we're going to almost, we're almost done with our study of the armor of God, and uh, talking to one of the sisters before church uh, about liking the visuals. Well, this is a pretty good visual. Sheila actually helped me pick out some visuals tonight. I thought this was a good one because this kind of covers uh, where we've been when we discuss uh, from Ephesians 6, the armor of God, and we've started there. And if you go from uh, uh, this one, I, I got the old one. We go from left to right here. We have that we're to gird up our loins. <coughs> Pardon me. Gird up our loins with the truth. The truth, that's that skirt or belt of truth. Having the breastplate there, the breastplate of righteousness, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and finally, the <coughs> sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we see that here. That's what will be, whoops, 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 whoops. I hit the wrong one. This one, the sword of the spirit. Y'all all see that. So, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. The last of the implements of the armor of God, the whole armor of God. We will have a final study talking about how we need to be prayerful. And as we um, talk about using the armor of God... Above all, we need to be prayerful in the way we do it, and that will be our final lesson on this subject next week. So, as we said earlier, we're in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Paul writes here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We just sang about standing. This passage here talks about standing twice. We'd be able to stand in verse 11 and then here in verse 13, having done all to stand, how does he pick up in verse 14? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
So tonight, as we've stated earlier from Ephesians 6 and the second latter part of uh, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Don't let people confuse you and say that the Spirit is something different from God's Word. The Spirit is the Word. Just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost or a Holy Spirit are one and united, God's Word is His Spirit revealed to us. And that's what we need to have living in us, His Word. And we'll see that through the passages that we study tonight. Now, i got to tell you, Brother Nathaniel, I know he's got a collection of swords. And he's got these great big swords. He's got little bitty swords. He's got everything in between. And I was thinking about having him bring a sword, but, you know, the sword we're talking about is right here. This is the sword. And I really like this illustration because it shows that the sword of the Spirit, and it's kind of kind of like shaking because it's alive, that's why. You see that blade there? It's not uh, stagnant. It's, it's lively. And God's Word is lively. God's word is alive. I like this visual. So we're going to be talking about God's word, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And let's look at Hebrews now because some of these passages, and I got to tell you, most of these passages as I was putting this study together, I've known for a long time, but they're true. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick. Quick here means alive. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is that sword? God's word, which is alive, powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. That is what we have to use. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is our primary weapon against the devil. Now, at first I was going to put against the world, but the spiritual warfare that Paul is talking about in the context of Ephesians 6 is our personal struggle. Our personal struggle. And our personal struggle is against Satan. So when we talk about this spiritual warfare, we're talking about our warfare, not in the community, even though we do have battles there. But the first battle is for your own soul. And brothers and sisters and friends, you can't do it without the whole honor, armor of God. You can't do it without standing up for the truth. You have to, as an individual, stand up. No matter what kind of example your parents or grandparents or the elders of the church have set for you, it's up to you to take that armor. It's up to you to use that armor. And we're going to talk about that today. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is our primary weapon against the devil. What's a good example for us? 
with this uh, truth statement. I think that's what Jacob calls it, something along those lines. Fact statement, truth statement. This is one of those. He knows what it is. He'll tell me after church. But it's one of those powerful statements that we can hang our, hang our whole lesson on, and that's what we're talking about here. How about Matthew 4? <clears throat> Remember the story in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1? Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus had a personal struggle here with the devil, him and the devil. How did he handle it? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a-hungered. Let me tell you what, it wouldn't take 40 days and 40 nights for me to be hungry. I can't imagine Jesus being in the wilderness, being by himself, no doubt, and not eating. For 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted at a very weak physical condition. Verse 3, when the tempter, that is the old devil, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. How did Jesus respond to that direct temptation to him and his physical needs, his desires, that temptation? Verse 4, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How did he confront the devil with the word of God? Again, verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Twice. Twice. When the devil tempted Jesus, he fought back with God's word. Now I'm left-handed, so if I do this, that's the hand I would be using. <laughs> but it's not with our hands that we fight the devil. We fight it with God's word. Finally, verse 8 through 10. Again the devil taketh him three times up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, <clears throat> All these things I will give thee. This prince of the world is going to give Jesus all the riches. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Each time Jesus was pressed into temptation, and you're talking about the three areas that we are tempted. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, Jesus 
used God's word. He used God's word against the devil. And that's what brought him out. We know after this, Jesus was comforted. The angels came and ministered unto him. And those were the final temptations. And after this, Jesus began his ministry. He began his ministry after this round of temptation from the devil. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is our primary weapon against the devil. We also have, yes, the helmet of salvation. We have the hope of his everlasting salvation. We have faith in that shield, which uh, keeps those fiery darts from getting to us. Okay, we, we're girded about with, with, we have the breastplate of righteousness and we're girded about, I keep forgetting that one, with truth, truth. We're talking about truth here. We have all these things and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have all of these, wet, we, these pieces, implements of armor that we have, but our sword is our primary weapon against the devil. Jesus showed us, showed us that in Matthew 4. Our next bullet point, to be able to effectively use a weapon, one must know it well. You got to know your weapon. No matter what you're using, you have to know it. And I think, <clears throat> I don't know why, but this just came to me a little while ago. A claw hammer. It's a pretty simple tool. A claw hammer. You got a hammer head on one side and a, <clears throat> it looks like two fingers, claw on the other side. <coughs> you know, I had to learn how to use a claw hammer. I didn't know how to use it. My dad had to tell me, and that's a very simple tool, but my dad had to show me. Son, this is how you grip the hammer. Of course, he was right-handed. I'm left. Son, this is how you grip the hammer. You don't grip it too high. You don't grip it too low. You grip it where you got it working for you, not against you. You hit whatever you're hitting with the head of that hammer right square on that nail. If you're ha hammering a nail, you hit right there. And you be careful and you watch what you're doing. You're careful and that's how you use it. Do you want to use the claw because you messed up on that nail? <laughs> Which invariably I did. Maybe you did it the first time, right? I don't know. I remember, boy, what happened here? <laughs> and you get that claw and you use that claw and you use whatever surface you're against and you get that claw and you pull that nail out, you straighten it up and you go at it again. You got to learn how to use it. But you have to know your weapon before you're able to use it. Brother Clark, you know what we're talking about. Very, very firsthand. This past weekend, I guess, he went down to Gary's place and, and he was looking at some weapons to use. Did they just throw you that weapon and say, have at it, Clark. Good luck to you. No, you were taught. We all have to be taught to effectively use a weapon or a tool. We must know it well. And that's true for God's word. We need to know it well to effectively use it. Therefore, <clears throat> we must know well the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
no matter what our weapon is, but our weapon in our spiritual struggle against the devil is the use of God's word. And we must know it. We must know it. Back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, we studied, and I really got a lot out of our study in Deuteronomy a few months back. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, that thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way. <coughs> when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and they shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the po post of thy house and on thy gates. You're going to be surrounded with God's word at all time. You're going to know it. You're going to take it to heart. Thy God... And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. How are we going to love our God if we don't know who he is and we don't know his word? Teach them diligently unto thy children. How's a child going to know God's word if you don't teach him? You need to do this in your home. Teach your children God's word. Then he talks about the course of a day. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. They shall bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. It's like a band, a band that you'd wear on your forehead, and knowing it's there. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. How are you going to know God's word if you don't study it, if you don't get into it? Psalms 119, verse 9 and 16. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. How is a young man going to know the way? By taking heed unto God's word. With my whole heart. I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Don't let me stray. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes, God's law. I will not forget thy word. We got to know it. We got to know God's word. Do we have this attitude? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Let me not wander from thy commandments. 
With my lips I have declared all thy judgments with my mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies, as in all riches I will meditate in thy precepts, have respect unto thy ways, and will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Again, in Deuteronomy 11, we went, we looked at Deuteronomy 6. Now we're looking at Deuteronomy 11 and you say, David, are you sure this is like the very same words? It is. Because of the emphasis that Moses put on the importance of God's word. This is an emphasis statement. Therefore, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Therefore shall ye lay up my, these my words that came from God in your heart and in your soul. Lay up these words, my words, God's words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your, li- your eyes, a band around you knowing God's word. The question is, is God's word laid up in your heart and in your soul? That's what we're supposed to do. How, you know, you can't have God's word laid up in your heart and in your soul unless you know it, unless you study it. That's how you, that's how you can appreciate it. And I, I say that appreciate in a very wide uh, meaning. Because the more you get into God's word and study God's word, if your heart is right, you will appreciate it. And it will be good for your heart and food for your soul. It's vital. So the sword of the Spirit is God's word. Is it laid up in your heart and in your soul? You know, these soldiers that go out and they fight these wars, what's the most important thing they have? That's their weapon. You take care of that weapon. You make sure that weapon is ready because you don't know when the enemy's coming. How is it going to be ready? If it's laid up in your heart and in your soul. Getting back to God's word. God's word is strong. God's word is secure. God's word is everlasting. How do we know this? From studying God's word. (laughs) Yes. God's word is strong and secure, and everlasting. Think about the creation itself. God spoke it, and it was. That's how powerful God's word is. It's strong. It's powerful. It is secure, and only in the rock, the rock of ages, which is his word, do we feel secure and comfort. And it is everlasting, everlasting to everlasting. Psalms 119, once again, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Above anything we know, above anything any man has ever thought of, God's word is settled in heaven. 
There is no dispute in heaven when it comes to God's word. God's word is settled in heaven. Just think about that. Isaiah 40 and 8. We'll see similar verses to this. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is everlasting. It will stand. Talking about standing, it will stand forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. Heaven and earth, the heaven that we see, shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. That's impressive. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Everything we know, everything we feel, everything we see, everything we smell, everything we hear is going to be gone. But God's word will endure. The word of Jesus, his son, will endure. They shall not pass away. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. We're going to look at this passage again. Or this verse again. Let's just look at the first half right now. But the word of the Lord endures, for, endures forever. Endureth forever. We must know God's word and then be prepared to use it in the spirit that pleases our Heavenly Father. This is important. This is important for those that know God's word to properly apply God's word according to his spirit. To properly use God's word, you see? And this will take maturity. For some people, it's not as, it doesn't take quite as long as others. For other people, it may take a little longer. You have to know God's word, you have to understand it, and this is where the wisdom comes in, but it's godly wisdom, not man's wisdom, how to use it, how to apply it. This is very important. The worst thing we could do as we try to reach out to those in our community, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, is to turn them off with God's word. We have to properly apply it in the right spirit, in God's spirit, the spirit that pleases our Heavenly Father. This is important. This is a little advanced a little deeper than what we've talked about before. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This means this is a bigger picture than just knowing Old Testament from New Testament. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Timothy, you need to study. 
Show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What we have is precious. What we have is powerful. It comes directly from God the Father, and we have to use it and apply it in the manner that pleases him. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. <clears throat> We've talked about that all night. And is profitable, profitable for doctrine. These are the uses now. For doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, throughly furnished unto all good works. How do we use it? How do we apply it for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness? These are the ways. And Paul goes into some nuances here about that. First with Peter. Again, that passage that we had before, that the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. God's word needs to be preached. It needs to be preached. I can only imagine how the Lord must feel in my um, insignificant self. I see these televangelists sometimes and I see these crazy things come out of these people's mouths. And I say these peoples because some of them, peoples, some of these folks are men and some are women. And they're saying what you need to do, you know, just touch the old folks. No, just touch your radios to be saved and pray, pray this prayer and then send me a check. Is that preaching the gospel? Is that using God's word appropriately? Does that please the Heavenly Father to hear people proclaiming this nonsense in his name, the name of his son? The gospel must be preached. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It must be preached. First Thessalonians 2 and 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile or meanness. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, think about what Paul is saying here. This is a apostle of Jesus Christ. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. This is important. All made sure he was on his toes. He watched his P's and Q's because he knew God was watching him. Do we say things that please men or do we say things that please God? Are we standing with the whole armor of God when we go along because we don't want to stick out in the crowd? 
We're to be peculiar people, folks. We're not to go along. We need to stand up for what's right. That's what we're talking about here. That's putting on the whole armor of God and being able to use it. We need to use it in the right spirit, of course. And Paul did here. As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 3 and 4. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, you, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. See how important this is? We need to be living epistles for Jesus Christ. We need to minister God's word with the spirit of the living God. Not in stony tables or tablets, but in fleshy, (laughs) fleshy as he says, fleshy tables of the heart. God's word must live in our heart and we need to show that we love those that we're trying to convert, that we're really willing to stand up for the truth and please our heavenly father. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Paul is laying it on the line here, the importance of his use of God's word. Again, verse 6 of this passage from 2 Corinthians 3, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, ministers of God's word, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. This is the key. When we use God's word, that we do it with a proper spirit, that we're doing it in a manner that pleases our Father in heaven. Ephesians 1.13 Speaking of God's word, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You see, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, is after we believe, we are sealed. Brother Don talked about in his prayer. We have that inheritance. We are sealed. We are stamped, approved of God with that Holy Spirit of promise. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Paul realized it. Paul knew that that was important. That we do things in the spirit, that Holy Spirit of promise. Paul says this in Romans 1 and 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when he says Greek, he's saying talking about everybody else. <clears throat> That's us. 
We may not have the blood of a Jew or the blood of a Greek, but he's talking about us. I thought about maybe leaving that off and doing a dot, dot, dot to everyone that believeth. But no, let's put it because the context was, and that's why context is important. The context at the time <coughs> was the Jew and the Greek. But guess who he was writing to? He was writing to the Romans. Were the Romans Jews? Some might have been, but most were Romans. They lived in Rome. Were they Greek? There might have been some that had some Greek bloodlines, but they were Romans. They weren't Greeks. We're talking everybody that understands the power of the gospel and that believeth in the gospel, that every one of us has that power of God once we believe and obey God's word. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now this is simple, basic, but it's true, and that's what needs to be living in our heart. One final passage, Hebrews 4 and 12, once again. For the word of God is quick, it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Our spirit, as we know from God's word, when we die, departs from us and goes back to the Father who gave it. Our bodies deteriorate. He didn't even mention our bodies here. Our bodies deteriorate. They go back to the dust, which they were. But our soul will live on. Our soul will live on in two different places. Either our soul will be in glory with God the Father or will be cast down and spend eternity with the devil in fire and torment. A choice is for all of us. And that what is the divider? God's word. God's word. Do we accept it? Do we believe it? Do we receive it? Do we live it? Is it residing in our hearts? It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Brethren, friends, it's your heart. God sees your heart. Your heart either has God's word in it or it is empty. I hope and pray that God's word is with you tonight. The spirit of God's word is very much alive and has everlasting power. <laughs> everlasting. Talk about the Energizer Bunny. God's word is far beyond that little cartoon, if you will. It is everlasting to everlasting. Let's learn how to use God's word and apply it to our everyday lives. That's the lesson. I appreciate your very kind attention. If there are any that has a need that they'd like to bring before our congregation, 
it would be our duty and indeed our pleasure to pray for you that anything laying heavy on your heart, you can count on your brethren to pray for you and we love you. And if you have something you'd like to bring forward, we'd, we'd be very happy to pray for you. If there are any that have not taken the steps to become a child of God and you understand and believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he's the son of God, you're willing to confess that Jesus is the one and only son of God. You're willing to repent of your sins and then obey the gospel and be baptized so that you may walk in newness of life. If there's one of either case, please come now as we stand and sing. The song's been selected.